Well, Buenos Dias and Bienvenidos. Good morning, Lindsley Avenue. How is everybody today? Good. I, I keep looking as if maybe I said Concord Road or some other congregation. Let's try that again. Good morning, Lindsley Avenue. There we go. I don't want you to sleep yet. Really, truly. But thank you all for being here. This is a very, very important day for Lindsley Avenue. This is a day we set aside to have as our homecoming Sunday, where we gather together. Many of you have come from a, a pretty long way away to come back and remember previous days here at Lindsley Avenue, help us uh, remember things that have happened in the past and see where Lindsley Avenue is going in the future. So we're all very, very glad you're here. If you're here by chance, you've also picked a great Sunday to be here because many of the people here have been busy for some time making all sorts of food. We want you to stay and eat with us. Even if you eat for a short while, there's way too much food. And I've just been told that anything left over, Howell and I have to eat. So uh, please, please, Howell looks like he could eat a whole bunch, but uh, we don't want to be doing that. So please stay with us after the services. The title of today's lesson that I've set here is There's No Place, and I know we know what comes next, most of us, there's no place, but I want to talk about home this morning, let's talk about home. There's no place like home. When you hear those words, does anything come to mind? What comes to mind when you hear those words? Sort of movie? It's okay to say something out loud, it really is. Anything come to mind when you hear there's no place like home? Childhood. Childhood? Any movie? Wizard of Oz. Yes. Because that was the phrase that Dorothy, at the end of The Wizard of Oz, was supposed to say while she was wearing those fancy, fancy ruby slippers and tapping her heels what, together three times. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Well, likely, she was clicking those slippers together and saying there's no place like home. That's what I would think comes to mind for many of us when we hear that phrase. Why was she saying there's no place like home? Because she had been in a very strange land with all sorts of strange people, lots of munchkins. We've got a couple of munchkins here with us today, simply being shorter people. Shorter people. Some of these people won't stay short the way the munchkins may have in the movie. And all sorts of things. An Emerald City, a wizard, wicked witch, and a good witch. There was all sorts of things she really did not encounter in Kansas. She wanted to go home to be in Kansas to be with Auntie M. There's no place like home. She also went back with her little dog Toto. Remember the little dog Toto? I've seen many dogs. I wanted to call them Toto, but uh, they always get names like Butch and Bowser and who knows what. How about just Toto? Get a dog named Toto. There's no place like home. Well, let's think about home for a while this morning. The first home we all really have some experience with, and the starting point I want to use, is the home we have with our physical family. Many times it's the home we were born into or the home that we form by marrying uh, with, uh, to someone, with someone else and we form a home and a family there. That first family we're talking about, the physical family, is one that God created. 
God created the family and God created the home. So let's look at Genesis 1, 27 and 28. Uh, first of all, I'd really like to find that activity book. I like those. And uh, I've always looked at the animals on those things, and they always look rather strange. I mean, look at the lion. I mean, most lions I see look a little hungrier or meaner than that. But uh, that's what they put. Maybe they don't want to scare the kids. They, don't, they want the kids to open the activity book and color it. But look at what God says here in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created the first people. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves over the earth. If there's one command that we, mankind, people, humanity, have successfully followed from God, I think it's the one right there in the middle of that statement. Be fruitful and fill the earth. Multiply and fill the earth. Because I think sometime in the next year or two, it's going to get 8 billion people. 8 billion people. So this way, at least, we have done what God told Adam and Eve to do. To be fruitful and multiply. Well, spread throughout the Bible are statements about those who make up a home. Roles and responsibilities that those in this physical home this physical family had. Genesis 3 and then the first of Genesis chapter 4, we read this. The man, Adam, called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. So mothers as the Beginning of new life, role that a mother would play in a family. Ephesians 5, 25 through 33 has some statements again about husbands and wives, moms and dads, what their roles and responsibilities are. Look at how much time is spent speaking to husbands in this text. Starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way that Jesus loved the church, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself. Husbands have a really hard charge here because Jesus died so that the church might live. There have been times when I have been speaking in other lands and other places and in the middle of Africa some years ago. We talked about this, and in that location, the men were all on one side of the auditorium and the women on the other. It's like they didn't want to be close to each other. I'm like, what's, what's up with this? But when I told the men this, that you should love your wife so much that if necessary, you would die for her, I gave them an example. If you're walking down the side of the road and you see a car coming, and it becomes evident that that car is going to hit one or both of you, do you push your wife out of the way, even if that means the car hits you? That's what would be implied of what Paul has said here. Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her, died so that the church could live, the bride of Christ. Husbands are to love their wives in the same way. The answer to that question should have been yes. I was shocked. 
the thrashers, the men who vote, we said no. I thought to myself, no, I got, we got a wrong study here ahead of us. Because that's not the way husbands are to treat and love their wives. I've told younger people before, especially young ladies, if this man that you are interested in does not love you enough to die so that you can keep living, don't marry the man. Don't do it. Because that is essentially a requirement, supposed to be from God, on marrying somebody. I would not want to have the relationship be such that if you don't love your wife enough to die for her, then she shouldn't be called your wife. Shouldn't be married in the first place. Why is that so important that husbands love their wives this way? Well, it goes back again to Genesis and grounds it at the beginning of all time. Therefore, you see the quote, this is a quote from Genesis, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, Paul says, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. All of that so far aimed at the husband, and then something aimed at the wife, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Gentlemen, some of that is dependent upon us. We need to be worthy of respect. We need to be the kind of man who can be respected. Men are to love their wives as Jesus loved the church, and what's laid upon wives is to respect her husband. Ladies, I really think very strongly that if you're married to a man who loves you as Jesus loved the church, this one's going to be actually pretty easy. Because that man will love you enough that he would die for you. That's about the ultimate sacrifice that an individual can make. Mothers also have other relationships that they manage and that they take care of. Isaiah 49, 15, can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? If the answers to those are yes, then this mother has a problem and we need to help her. Because it should not be the case that a mother can forget her young nursing child or have no love for the child she has born. There's a problem if that's ever true. Look as well. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. Mothers typically are going to be the givers of comfort, more so generally speaking, generalities here, than fathers will. And so in the same way that a mom might comfort a child, God says in Isaiah 66, I will comfort you. I will bring comfort to you, my people, with the troubles and problems you are facing, just like a mom would bring comfort to a young child. Children have some responsibilities too. A foolish man despises his mother. Children need to love and honor their parents as well. You know, and if everything is working properly, really none of this is all that hard to do. One more. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And then fathers, provoke not your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There are requirements, roles, and responsibilities on members of our families, members of our homes. Yet our homes are not always happy places. 
They're not. In society at large, families within churches, they're not always happy places. Why? Why would our homes, of all places, not be happy places all the time? Well, it's because they're made up of people, and people sin. Some husbands don't love their wives as Christ loved the church. Some wives don't respect their husbands. Some children do not obey their parents. Some fathers provoke their children. All and every single one of these instructions that have been given that we've looked at, because people are sinful and people make mistakes, sometimes get violated. And that leads to homes and families that are not happy places. An example from the Bible, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, right? Those first two children that are mentioned being born to Adam and Eve, Cain kills Abel. Not a very happy time for anyone when people do things they shouldn't do. In addition to the personal home, we often also have a church home. That's kind of what we're celebrating here today. Another home we have is, is our home here with the church family here at Lindsley Avenue. We have a long history. I wish I knew the names of more than at least one person in that picture. But that was taken, I don't know if somebody was on a big tall ladder here behind me or what, but up there a bit, packed, and even up here where they now have the, the drywall or the walls up, people in the balconies, good long time ago. And then a picture taken from the other direction. Maybe it was during service, or maybe they just said everybody be really still. We're trying to take a picture. Was Reva here or some of those? I may bring the picture to you afterward and see if you can help me figure out who at least a couple of the people are. Long history. How many years, Robbie? 167 years since David Lipscomb started a Bible study with a couple of ladies. And it is now Lindsay Avenue Church of Christ meeting in this building. Sometimes we've got pictures of, of Faces and people here at Lindsley Avenue more recently. Lindsley Avenue is still here and still part of our community. Do our best to love God, love one another, and to love our neighbors. I love the slogan we've had some here in the last year. We are part of our community and we're going to remain part of our community. So when you look at the church home, some of the verses in the Bible talk about the relationships we have with each other as brothers and sisters, part of a church family. Read earlier this morning, Ephesians 2.19. So then you, that's speaking to all of us, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are in God's house. It's not the physical building so much, not at all. It's the gathering of God's people that makes a family gathering. Each and every one of us are members of God's family. This one cuts off a little at the bottom. Galatians 6.10 So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And that's something we all should follow each and every day. You see an opportunity to do good? Just do it. Just do it. Especially, Paul continues on here in Galatians, to those who are of the household of faith. Be good and do nice things to everyone, especially to brothers and sisters, members of the household of faith, members of your church family. If there's a household of faith, 
There's a house, there's a home, there's a family. That's what we're talking about. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Sometimes this gets used really to more uh, kind of as a, as a big uh, club to club people who don't come to each and every church service. I understand the usage for that, not neglecting gathering together. But the important part is on both sides of that statement. When we gather together as a family, when we gather together to worship God, why is it important to be together? Well, look. Consider, figure out how to stir up one another to love and good works. During the week, you might get a little caught in the routine, a little laid back, a little uh, more like a, a knot on the wall, my dad used to say. And when we get together, when we gather together on Sunday, we're able to stir up one another and find a way to put some energy into some of us who might have gotten a little quiet during the week. And at the end of it, Encouraging one another. I need some encouragement sometimes. Life's hard. Life's hard. It's full of people that cause trouble, sometimes on purpose. I gather together in order to stir up other people and to be stirred up to do good to everyone and to encourage and be encouraged. That's the important part of this passage here from Hebrews chapter 10. There's another one. John 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you may also love one another. By this, all shall know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How do people know that this is a gathering of God's people, that God's family gets together here a couple of times a week? At the very least, it needs to be because we show love and care for each other and we show love and care for our neighbors. And then finally the last one. You are all sons of God. That's every bit as true for daughters of God. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. If you have become a member of God's family, then you are family to me and I am family to you. Well, look at what that does here at the end of this statement. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For we were all one in Christ Jesus. We're family. Family doesn't put someone at the back of the bus. Family doesn't put someone into I ignore that you even exist. In the first and second century, I find it rather humorous. Uh, many times slaves would become Christians and sometimes their masters were, not as many but sometimes the master, the ruler of the house was also a Christian when they gathered together to worship God they were expected to sit together and if a master would not sit with a slave, the master was told, you don't belong here they were essentially kicked out of the worship service because they were not showing love for a brother or a sister. What would our history, what would our culture be like if this is how we had lived it for the last 2,000 years? I think it would be very different. 
can't change the past. I can't. But I can make sure today and tomorrow are different than they have been. So a challenge for all of us. There is no Jew or Greek. There is no black or white. There is no anything other than members of God's family and neighbors. Let's look for opportunities to do good to everyone. Especially the brothers and sisters, but that doesn't mean not to do good to everyone. That our church homes are not always happy places either. We said that about the family home, the personal home. Sometimes church homes are not happy either. Sometimes people cause a stink. Sometimes churches divide. Sometimes people get angry and argue. Well, this is every bit as much a family as our family home is. Why does it happen there? Same reason it happens here. People and sin. We are people and we do things that are for ourselves instead of living the way God wants us to. Sometimes. If you look at 1 Corinthians, you see an example of that in the first century. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 11, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe. When you gather together, instead of saying there is no us and them, there is no Jew or Greek, there is no slave or free, we are all one in Jesus, there were divisions. Paul's rather exasperated with it. And it doesn't surprise me, he's kind of another way of saying this, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Church family needs to be a family that looks to God to see how to behave and treat one another. God loves me. We need to love each other. Unfortunately, because people sometimes are sinful, it doesn't always work out. But there's one home to which we are going where there won't be conflict like we have in family homes and like we have in church homes sometimes. And that would be the heavenly home. The heavenly home to which we are going. John 14, 2. Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I was going to prepare a place for you? You know, it, it, it's, it's true. I mean, that's why I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's a lot of rooms. Got to make some things ready. 2 Corinthians 5, 1. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, this body that I'm living in now, which is not going to last forever, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. When I die, my body is going to be, presumably, put in the ground and it's going to go back to the dust of which it came. Is that the end of Gene? It's not. The entire message of the Bible is that is not the end of us. We go to live with God to one of these rooms, whatever that is that Jesus is talking about, and it's eternal in the heavens. Do I know what that's going to be like? I don't. And please don't take this the wrong way. I don't care. Because I want to go live with God. Whatever God has in mind is fine with me. Some of that argument in churches sometimes is over what these things really are. It doesn't matter to me. I want to go live with God. I'll go wherever God wants me to go. I want you to come with me. In order to go to live with God, we have some things we have to do. Colossians 3, 2, we're told, set your mind on things of God, not on earthly things. 
if I'm going to go home and live with God, I can't be focused so much here on the here and now. And we need to make a living. We need to support our families. We need to do some things in the here and now. But some people are consumed with the day-to-day -day activities of living here and now. That's not the way we're supposed to be. Our minds are supposed to be set on where we are going. Heavenly things. Thanks to God. Philippians 3.20. Why is that so important? Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, Philippians is interesting because in chapter 1, Paul talks about live your lives as citizens in the here and now in a way that is worthy of being called a follower of Jesus. That's chapter 1, verse 27. Live your lives as good citizens now. When there's a problem in my community here, followers of Jesus should be the first ones coming out to help. Floods, tornadoes, fires, people who are hungry, doesn't matter. We should be great citizens in the here and now. But, but never forget that the here and now is not where we're going to stay. We are citizens of a different place. That's the important place to where we go. Be a very, very good citizen, a very, very good neighbor now. Never lose sight of where we're going. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. What's it going to be like? Look at Revelation 22, 1-5. Unfortunately, things like this are often read only at funerals, primarily at funerals. I think we need to hear them while we're alive, and not just when we're remembering somebody's past. Look what is described about that place above where we are going. Then the angel showed me, John, the river, the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. That's supposed to be you and me as God's servants. They will see, they will see his face, and his name will be on the foreheads, there will be no night there. They will not need, they will need no light or of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light. We're going home to live with God, just like the old spiritual said. I'm going to live with God. It's going to be a different place. There won't be any argument there. Here. How will that happen? When will that transition occur? First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. Paul says, The Lord will just come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet, call of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are still alive and left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. If that's the only thing that had ever been said about what is to come, I'd be perfectly happy with that. Because really and truly, as long as I go to live with God, I don't really care what God has in store. I'm going to be so thankful to be there that He loved me enough to send His Son to die for me. Period. So when we're thinking of the heavenly home, my question to you this morning is this. Are you ready to go home? John 8, 24, Jesus said, Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. If you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't understand that Jesus came to live and die for you, just like he came and lived and died for me, 
When I die, I will die in my sinful state, and I won't go home to live with God. That's what Jesus said. Unless you believe that I am, unless you believe he is the Messiah, and what he did, you'll die in your sins. Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all in like manner perish. If we don't change our ways, we're going to perish just like the people in the context he's talking about. If I'm living for myself and I don't turn to live for God, then I'm going to perish. I won't go home to be God. And then in Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Jesus said it, just do it. Rather than arguing over different aspects of stuff, Jesus said we need to believe that he is the I am. We need to repent and turn our lives around. And he said, if we're, we believe and are baptized, we'll be said, just do it. If there's something that we can help anyone here today with, if you need to become a member of God's family so you can go home to live with God, we will happily do whatever we need. Talk to you some more or actually baptize you in the water right behind you. If you're a member of God's family and looking at your life this past week, few days, month, it just really hasn't been lived with a sight on where you're going. The here and now is kind of dry, driven out the knowledge of where we're going. If you're living for today more than for tomorrow, then we can take your name to God in prayer. Ask God to forgive. All of us need forgiveness each and every day. We will happily pray so that you can know I'm headed home to be with God. If there's some way that we can help, please come as we stand and sing.